What'd you have for lunch today, Yuri? Mm, I had bibimbap. From no, where? No meat. Uh, just like a regular deli. No meat. Yeah, I'm on this like vegetarian thing. Do you feel a lot better? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> really? I, I haven't lost weight. I don't have more energy or anything like that, but I actually My like worse. <laughs> <laughs> Unclear yes. is better. Yeah, like I am a lot more bloated. All those things. So a lot of things are trending bad, but the one thing that I really care about is my inflammation. Oh, okay. And for my fingers, because I rock climb a lot. Yeah. And it does really help, and Damn. that is the reason I am trying to continue. I feel like most people with their diets, or at least my diet, is you actually, you're whatever you're on right now, you think it's fine, but you're just baseline used to it. Yeah. And the second you make that lifestyle change, you're like, oh, like I started like just sleeping at like 10 p.m. Yeah. And I, I was like, I have so much fucking energy. And I was like, I've been living <laughs> like this for fucking 29 years. <laughs> and I was like, if I just go to bed early, <laughs> turns out you are super well rested. And I was like, wow, I was just totally okay with that. Like, being yeah. at 50% battery. <laughs> yeah. Kirk, I could have told you that five years ago. <laughs> I wouldn't have listened. I, I would not have listened. Donnie and I actually have a lot of fights about this where she loves sleeping and she's like, you never want to go to bed. And I was like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I realized it's just like yeah. a weird, like it's a teenage boy kind of like inner thing where I'm just like rebelling against mm. no one. I feel like because like mm. nighttime like your one time where you're not expected to do shit, right? Because like you're supposed to be asleep. So you're yeah. like, the one rebellion I'll do yeah, is be awake. I'll be awake. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, this is, this is detrimental to my health. <laughs> Today, we're joined by Yurim Choi, Director of Products at Eden Health and a coach on Merit. At Eden Health, Yurim is building a new type of primary care delivery platform. Yurim has nearly a decade of product experience across healthcare, commercial real estate, and ad tech. Yurim has led many big projects in his time as product manager, including launching AppNexus Data Marketplace, leading the localization efforts of VTS, launching and scoping Blink's Health first home delivery business in under six months. In this episode, we talk about running a real product di discovery process in a different country, the surprises of being a PM in the healthcare space, transitioning from being an accountant to a product manager. Whether you're just starting out or many, many years in your career, I think you'll really enjoy this episode. So how'd you get into a product? Oh, yeah. Because you studied accounting originally, right? Yeah. How does an accountant become a product manager? Well, how long were you an accountant? I was an accountant for three, the mic. three and a half years. Three and a half years? Yeah. All right. So you had like a pretty decent like number of like... Oh, yeah. Here. I thought we, I was going for partner uh, <laughs> as an accountant. And then, you know, you have all of these like different perceptions in school about how how ambitious you could be and then you get into the work and then you realize what a terrible decision you made. <laughs> so be, like being an accountant, working as an accountant for three years made you more ambitious or less ambitious? Well, for the, the accounting track, it made me less ambitious. <laughs> I just came to terms that I don't want to do the thing that I thought I was going to do. Was there a particular moment where you like, you were at work and you're like, I, d I can't do this anymore? Well, I don't want to rag on that industry, but to me personally, there's two anecdotes that I had that really seared into my mind <laughs> and confirmed my, my path. <laughs> One was when my senior like manager did all-nighters like for multiple days during busy season. It wasn't the lifestyle that I wanted. Mm -hmm. And then what really the last nail in the coffin for me, like that's when I started to like feel like, okay, this isn't the right thing. I don't want to do this. 
And then the final nail in the coffin was like, I had another senior manager that just had a child and she came to work and she, you know, was working really late and just offhand, she made this comment during lunch. Yeah, I go home and the baby doesn't recognize me because they never see they never see me. Brittle. And I was like, wow, wow like, that's crazy. Yeah. And I was like that. I don't want to be in that position <laughs> in, in five years. Yeah. And just the uh, funny side comment is one of the things that we would do like late at night was try to calculate what our hourly pay was. And we would figure out that we get paid less than like a fast food yeah. worker. And yeah. every investment banker, every lawyer kind of like in those. Yeah. They're like, wait, I get paid how much? How did you even know what product was? Because I feel like it's a pretty big hop to go from that to like product management, like product management yeah. at a tech company. I feel like yeah. that's like a lot of hops. Yeah, that's that's uh, it's funny because, uh, you know, it comes up a lot when I do coaching or talk to people uh, that want to transition. And, you know, what I tell them today is like, you know, you should you owe it to yourself to understand what product management really is and not just take it for what the glamorous lifestyle you think it is. Those things are attractive and exciting, but you're really doing yourself a disservice if you don't understand all of the not so great stuff that you do. The ironic thing is that's exactly how I got excited about it (laughs) because I saw people that were doing things that I thought were really cool. And I just thought, okay, I was doing kind of web consulting stuff on the side with my now wife, but then a girlfriend. So I I had this uh, affinity towards technology. I just didn't know how I could transition that into something that I actually wanted to do, mm. like long term. And products seemed to be the thing. I actually tried to be an engineer first. Huh. And then JavaScript and HTML and CSS. And it's very hilarious now when I think about it and I work with engineers, like how foolish I was. (laughs) But I failed so hard trying to become an engineer. And so I actually originally wanted to be an engineer. And then I realized I can't make it there. And then I... Was this like self-taught or did you go through a boot camp, an alternative form of education? I didn't do the boot camp, but I did all of the free tools online. Uh, and also read a lot of books. I actually ended up helping out in my job, uh, having that context. So you went from accountant to programmer to product manager. One of the We'll give you street credit anyway. Oh my gosh, I could go on for days for like cringeworthy interview experiences. So then how would you actually get your first product manager job? You know... It was very serendipitous. The way it happened was I was scouring the internet for product opportunities. For weeks, it's all the same, basically. You know, all the same profiles. And then one day, I find a posting that literally one bullet point was, has accounting experience. You're like, sick. And you're like, is it also has shitty JavaScript experience? (laughs) (laughs) Super qualified. (laughs) Yeah, so I applied. And immediately they call me back because I'm sure no one was applying. And that's so awesome. That's That's beautiful. Yeah, it kind of worked out. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> you show up there and like what's so what's the job it was at app nexus right so like yeah. what was, why they want accounting experience for this particular role yeah so they were actually trying to overhaul their like billing system mm-hmm. you know it's billions of transactions happening on the ad server and they were saying we need to accurately bill at, because there's these constant custom contracts and there's a lot of volume so you need to figure out how the data pipeline goes through the erp system that's what I came to do. But again, another serendipitous thing that happened was that they did a reorg. Mm-hmm. So that was my project. But then within three months, I got pushed into more like customer facing projects. Mm-hmm. That's like one of the few reorgs that worked out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Almost everyone gets screwed over in the reorg. Right. <laughs> and then the rest is history. I think another way in an alternate universe, <laughs> I would still be doing like back end finance software and i wouldn't have gotten the chance to prove myself in real customer facing features that's pretty yeah. cool like how long were you there before the rework happened i think three months it, it was I, pretty immediate yeah me- memory is kind of foggy but like i remember it was like oh it's happening already like that's cool <laughs> yeah that's really cool yeah. I feel like I, I talked to so many product managers and like their entire backgrounds is like just some weird thing happened and they became a product manager one day it's like, like all like superhero origin stories where they like get bit by a spider or something. Yeah, <laughs> it, it definitely is for me. And one of the challenges when people come and ask for advice is I don't really know. Like, <laughs> I wish I could tell you do one, two, three, and then you can get a product job. But I don't think that's how it works. I guess maybe the more relevant, the easier to answer question is like, how did you actually learn how to do product? Because that's like a thing where it's like there actually is kind of yeah. like a process at this point. Like yeah. when you were three months in and you got like you were on the front lines. Like, what's the product culture like at AppNexus? Well, what it was back then is, I mean, it's a huge organization. They had Scrum masters, they had multiple product managers, and senior product managers and directors of product management and all of those things. And the founder, Brian O'Kelly, was very heavily involved in, in product there. I will say, I distinctly remember taking my scrum master to the side uh, initially, and I was like, what is a retro? <laughs> like, what wow, am I? full circle. Yeah. Turns out it's a podcast. It's yeah. Awesome. It's yeah. Podcast. He's like, it's a podcast. <laughs> and... uh what am I supposed to do with these tickets? Like, how do so I like write a deli? This? Like, what yeah. do I do with that? <laughs> and like, yeah, it's just I had no idea. Like, I read books, and that kind of gave me some sense of what's trying to be done. And you know, I think to me, I attribute a lot of my success for people that I worked with. And you know, if that scrum master wasn't so gracious and wasn't like such a good friend i could have ended up somewhere else did you have like a like a manager who was kind of like telling you what to do or showing you what to read or anything like that or is it really just like the scrum master basically took pity on you and answered your <laughs> um i'm picturing the scrum master like a dungeon master like in D like, i imagine yeah. like, like, like someone with a massive beard like, like ruben like has the rule book or like you're, you're rolling dice and you're like roll the retro <laughs> uh yeah i mean I think to me, like, I think memory is is selective. And so, you know, I think the manager definitely gave me some guidance. But to me, like, that's the more memorable thing I remember that, you know, uh, in like, I could, I was very vulnerable and I was like completely just in the dark. And that was the most influential person in my early days of my career. 
as product. What was the point where you were at AppNexus and you felt, I'm actually, I'm doing it. Like, I'm, I am a product manager. Was there a moment at AppNexus? No. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I mean, maybe to these days I can say that, but dude, I think imposter syndrome is real. I think a lot of people have told me, how can I be so confident like you? But the reality is I have imposter syndrome every day. Yeah. When, even when I'm doing IC work, I still wonder there's probably a better way and I yeah. just don't know. I'm super grateful. I think it was in retrospect, like a very formative period in my career. I think just as much as like being able to do a, a lot of things, I also realized what things I didn't want in my next opportunity and led me to Kirk and Hightower, you know, because six, six I, I, yeah. <laughs> Cause I had a sense of like, Oh, like I have a sense, like I understood the theory of product management. And then I also understood after a couple of years there that like I was getting a lot of one section, mm. but really missing kind of the discovery part of the job. And so I went out and looked for an opportunity to, to get that. Full context, Kirk, uh, Kirk yeah. and Graham worked together. We did, we did. Yes. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I hired you. Yes. Don't fully, I don't fully remember, but I'm pretty sure I did. Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah. My yeah. memory's foggy too. You're... <laughs> I mean, sound like from App Nexus, you were you felt like you were stuck in execution mode. It's kind of what my takeaway is. Yeah, and it's not so much discovery work, and so High Tower is kind of the opportunity for discovery work. Yeah, I would say that, and I I don't think that was necessarily like abnormal. I think yeah, like when you're first, yeah, yeah, first two years of product management, I don't really expect to do more. In hindsight, what mm. was the product culture like at High Tower? <laughs> <laughs> Be, be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, it was such a breath of uh, fresh air. Mm. Yeah. It like told, showed me the complete opposite side of <laughs> only discovery. No, <laughs> <laughs> we know nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We assume no, no facts about the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I guess yeah, for context as well. So Hightower was a, what, 30, 50, 40, 50 person yeah. company? Commercial was, real estate tech startup. Yeah, so yeah. Series B startup yeah. that like had people who liked their product a lot, but like, you know, they worked in commercial real estate, yeah. which means complex product for a complex industry Vertical, that doesn't yeah. generally like new technology in general. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. like, just yeah. basically, it's like a Godspeed, hope you work out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think also a big piece of context here is the founding team is like product design kind of engineering, right? So, like, mm -hmm. a very product DNA founding team, which obviously affects everything out outside of that. Yeah. So, Hightower is great. <laughs> I love it. The caveat is not, not just saying that it only happened, it, like, it, was, it only existed for. <laughs> Four weeks. <laughs> so, so explain that a little in a little bit more detail. What happened? What happened after? There's this, a lot of those, context setting for this story. Four glorious weeks. What did you enjoy about those four weeks? Yeah, I mean, I was saying like the diverse set of people there, the speed of how we were making decisions, and just this like in, from in that moment, I really felt, oh my. Oh my God, like these people know answers to about product management that I have questions about. That's and that was the overriding sense of why I was so motivated and happy to be there. And, and yeah, and I was just so excited to get started. And yeah, I mean, the merger happened and 
and you know that wasn't yeah that was complicated but i i yeah i really enjoyed it i mean i would say those four weeks are still kind of like the highlights of my career not oh. not to just like suck up to you i i truly feel like if that was the case too i would yeah. still take it <laughs> like if we could recreate those yeah. four weeks over and over again anywhere i i, I would be happy. Uh, could, could you like identify like a like a specific thing that like makes you say that because it's a pretty strong was it literally just that people had questions about the things that you were interested in learning about i can give some context of what yeah. i look now after much time and space i realized mm-hmm. but what, what kind of good stuff we had i think you said it right there which is like we actually made decisions pretty fast it was a working product in a space that was pretty untapped the founding team is really strong, and the technical team is really strong. And the PM team and design teams were very diverse in terms of background, race, gender, like very, very, very diverse. So it was actually super fun. Like, it was very fun to come into work. Everyone was super, super motivated. And it kind of had a good kind of chaotic energy. Going into the merger, we were, we merged with VTS in the fall of 2016. It was, uh, it's like just when we were kind of clicking as a team. Yeah. Like just when we kind of got a full team, everyone's kind of scoring. Then, then the merger happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Funny is like when you're building a team, it's like you do all this work to make sure everyone's happy, but also you're working on the right thing and the business is going. But then there'll just be this external circumstance that'll just fuck it yeah. up. And that's kind of like the cool and kind of fun, chaotic part of being uh, in a startup. It's like you yeah. can't you can't plan for that. Right? No amount yeah. of research could have been like they're going to get acquired. They're going to merge with their competitor yeah. four mm-hmm. weeks after I joined the company. Right? Yeah, you can't <laughs> really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You were a lot more in discovery mode when you actually worked in there. What did you work on when you were at, uh, I guess, basically BTS at that point? Yeah. Uh, so I worked on, eventually, the interna- internationalization of uh, v- uh, VTS, which is what I was starting, what I was assigned to work on at Hightower. So it kind of worked out. But we ha- we were in london we were selling to the uk market and then you know the customers in the uk had property in the rest of europe and so the question of currency and language in to a certain extent or kind of the concerns and in some ways the problems that we were solving in the us weren't really the same problems we were solving in europe the environment i dropped into was we have this uh, team in the UK, they feel unsupported because they keep writing ticket requests or feature requests and they never get done. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they're frustrated because they don't, they don't feel like they have a voice back in New York and the New York team doesn't understand the context of the market. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one big component of what I did at VTS was to kind of shore that relationship up and to find a way where their concerns are being heard and prioritized, mm-hmm. being that voice, going over there and understanding kind of their customer base and their frustrations that they're encountering, translating that back, and then also being able to communicate back to them of like, here's all the reasons why we can't work on that particular thing right now, but I'm really trying really hard to prioritize this other problem that mm-hmm. you're trying to solve. At the end of the day, we built this kind of one-off product for kind of the demand side of the business, you know, a broker trying to show space in London and trying to facilitate that workflow of there's a team that goes out, shows property. They need to all centralize that information back to stay up to date. 
and then also be able to recommend other similar properties. So that was a product that we worked on while I was there, and we got that launched. Could you talk a little bit about the, like how you did research and discovery, particularly for like the UK side? Because I think it's pretty cool kind of what you did in terms of how you structured it, how much time you spent there, how involved the team was. Yeah, yeah. I think this is when I started forming my own opinions about how to do discovery. And, you know, what happened After was... those four glorious weeks in my tower, he's like, <laughs> I know, but this is how we do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say, like, you know, in hindsight, it was like, I have all this theory and I want to put it to use. And so kind of the two pillars, I would say, is like, I was taking a lot of stuff from the the design sprint concept and that book. And also just this idea that engineers and designers need to be more involved in the discovery phase. You know, when we were talking about this, this product, this uh, new product that to address kind of the demand side of the, the, the market, I went over there to London, I got everyone together and we did like a mini design sprint. And, you know, it took a lot of it took a lot of communication and convincing to even block off three days. We couldn't do the full five days. So we said, can we get three days blocked off and where we are kind of thinking about this problem together. And I ran that, I facilitated that. And like, I was like, I'm going, I'm taking a leap of faith that I can run this. And, you know, thankfully it, it actually worked out and we like produce like something that we wanted to go test in the market Basically, we were able to get to some ideas to prototype. We took those prototypes and then got meetings in front of paying customers or prospective customers. We did a whole interview script and we kind of got their feedback on problems that they see or the things that they liked. And then we brought it back and then we said, okay, here's the data that we've gotten. Let's debrief. Let's try to kind of find the insights in between their words. And then we decided, okay, here's this prototype actually won. Let's go build our MVP product of that. And then we built that, we brought it back to the UK, and then we had customers trialing it and using it. And they, you know, we were trying to understand, does it actually solve the problems that we've identified through the discovery phase? And, you know, the reality was that it, did it was like on the cusp of it but it wasn't fully answering those problems and so we were then saying okay what can we add to solve those i think the takeaway for me is like i was fully convinced that having all of the stakeholders involved in the decision making process is so critical even today i live by that philosophy that you know, as a product manager, I am not the CEO of the product. I think that's actually like detrimental to uh, how I want to work. I see myself as the facilitators of good ideas. And it's about like everyone that's involved in solving a particular product has a very uh, skill, uh, like specialized skill set. And so, how do you bring all of those elements together, how do you create a scenario where they're maximizing their skill set and bringing that to the table to provide the most effective solution possible? And that's this experience at VTS was like the seed that grew into that because it proved to me that when the salespeople are involved and they they invest in like thinking through a problem, 
when the product has shortcomings or we find surprises of like, we thought this was going to solve the problem, but it doesn't, they have a lot more empathy and context about that. Because if you don't have that, the, the scenario that I've experienced, and I think a lot of other people experience is if you don't do that and products inevitably have surprises, then those stakeholders are like, why didn't you think of that sooner? Like, why didn't you anticipate that? Like, why didn't you add 10 extra features to compensate for that? And that is like an unnecessary friction point in my view, like so avoidable. If you say, come with me along the journey and let's make the decision of why we're cutting scope and, and the reasoning behind that. And when things inevitably go wrong or have surprises, then you know, let's also make the decision together of like how to address that. And to me that I really believe in that. I love that story. Cause I mean, the thing to your point around like the CEO, the product necessarily being like the right metaphor, like a lot of story was just step zero, just getting people to like, like you again, like, like the tech team again, <laughs> being like mm-hmm. the, the shoulder they could be like, just yeah. tell, like, tell their, like their concerns on. Rebuilding yeah. their relationship. Yeah. 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 And then from there being like, okay, cool. Now we're like back on like just talking terms, relationships restored. Let's yeah. actually like go together, like on this journey, as opposed to just like a project manager, just like tasked with like shipping something without concern yeah. for people. It's just, actually a lot more relationships than it is necessarily just like the tickets are shipping or like the code that's being written you're also kind of evangelizing like a way to discover these products like in the true kind of sense and you're doing all the translation not just like uh you know american english to uk english but also like across <laughs> time zones and across like functions yeah. and disciplines like the sales team so yeah. it's actually quite impressive to not only like you, you what you described is literally like a clean product development process yeah which it never so, fucking happens. It was so beautiful yeah it was so beautiful i was like a single tear down my cheek and i was like yeah you did do that i remember i was there for that and i was like that is so rare to do it that cleanly and to obviously testament to his skill but it's also like the timing was kind of perfect for it right like in yeah. terms of the team really wanted someone to give a shit yeah. about yeah. that about that market yeah. right yeah that's awesome and it all all comes back to you know my career is a series of very fortunate events <laughs> you know when you were doing it seems like there were kind of like three sprints there was the first the first discovery sprint around just like meeting everyone getting a sense of the problem then coming back with prototypes and testing them and then actually building it and then going back and like following up how many people did you talk to like what did those days look like just to get like a little bit more detail of just like the volume of yeah of, of iterations you're doing yeah i remember that very vividly because we were running around london because we <laughs> had back-to-back sessions so we one trip we went out there we went out there multiple times but it was four interviews per day for four days and then we had like a half day on friday and so we were going like all across london and you're going all on site and like in all the different real estate uh, like asset management right right the different portfolio yeah yeah and talking to them and get going through the prototype or the discovery questions depending on what phase we were at yeah it was super intense and you know what i tell people today is you know in discovery is not easy and and a lot of things with product is like, you got to believe it in enough to like take the pain, you know, like it's one thing as somebody to just say, Hey, I want to do discovery. I think that's fun. I think that's interesting. And 
I don't really like that. You know, I, I, what I tell people is like, okay, if you want to be involved, you got to go through the whole thing. Yeah. Like you can't just yeah. drop in and do some interviews and kind of get your <laughs> sampling of like, there's like four interviews a day for four days on the half day. It's you, you, the engineer, you, the whole squad. So in one trip, it was just me and the designer at the time. And then for another trip, it was like, we actually split up into two teams. So the designer and some engineers went and then me and some other engineers broke off and cool. we were just scouring the city. I, you used a great term, which is like you're bringing people along with the journey. And I think like that's you're also describing like a bonding experience, right? You're, people yeah. are bonding over this, yeah. this like this act of discovery. And to your point, like it is, it's just, a, it's intense. Like it's a lot yeah. of information. <laughs> yeah, it is intense. But yeah. you know, the, the benefit is like we came back and the engineers were like, oh my God, I could fix this problem <laughs> like that they're talking about. Yeah, Let me just right. go do it. Yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah, it's just like, again, I'm not my job and to be an effective product manager, like what I say is like, I'm not the person that's going to solve every problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think, you know, engineers have like a point of view, designers have a point of view. It's like they should be equipped to solve their own problem, uh, solve the same problems that I care about. And, you know, in the case that there's like gridlock, then I'll kind of come in and try to, you know, like do what's best for the project. But for the most part, I think the less decisions I'm making, the better the product process is going. BTS story is super beautiful. Like it sounds like the product process totally working. Yeah. And now you're in an industry where just things don't work at all. Yeah. (laughs) Like healthcare in America. So like I guess like what what is Eden Health and like one of like what's your like scope there? Yeah, so Eden is basically a primary care delivery platform. So what we do is we provide this convenient access point where employees, our customers are employers and so they offer Eden to employees and they can just download an app and they can talk to a provider immediately just through chat. And then we can route them to an in-person clinic that we run or refer them to a third-party practice. And we also couple that with insurance navigation and benefit help and also mental health. And the core value uh, prop for us is that we believe there's this – most people don't engage in healthcare. And it leads to higher costs because you wait until things are too severe or too acute when you can prevent that sooner. And the reason why people don't do the preventative work is because it's too complicated or too cumbersome or things are siloed off too much. And so we we built a product where we said, what is from a, a patient standpoint, like how do they view healthcare? And we've decided that well, they view healthcare not just I have this cut or this broken bone. They think about I have this broken bone, I have this much money in the bank account, and you know, I have this insurance, and there's two other things that are going on with my yeah. body. And it's like, okay, let's let's bring a product to the market that aligns with how they approach healthcare. And what's been proven is that people engage with it much more than traditional modes of communication. And you get to outcomes faster because you can kind of consider everything 
more things together to make the best decision. It sounds like most of the product is actually not like a web app. It's like an actual in-person experiences, actual yeah. physical places. Like the mobile app is like the like a touch point, like a very small touch point in the broader experience. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's like the very important aspect of this, you know, that the software side of it is just an enabling mechanism to the true product, which is actually getting relevant healthcare for, for you. How do you orientate yourself in that, just in healthcare in general as a product manager? So there are two distinct challenges that I'm thinking about all the time. One is any health tech company that tries to marry technology and care delivery, everyone I've talked to predominantly say, we have an organizational issue. We don't know how to make our clinical team collaborate with our product team. And it kind of comes, it manifests in a couple, two distinct ways. You'll see organizations where the product team kind of dictates uh, the clinical team and says, you know, we are smarter than you, so we're going to build product this way and you better just get used to it. And then the other side of the coin is that you have a very strong medical leader that says, I don't care how you want to do it. This is the way I see the problem. And I think neither of those ways are productive to create real solutions, real innovation. And so the the thing that I constantly try to think about is like, how do we build a culture at Eden to say, we have important skill sets to bring to the table, both on the uh, product side and also the clinical side. And um, how do we maximize that to come up with the best solutions possible? And that that is challenging because, you know, the naive way people view it, I think, is that, you know, they don't really try to put themselves in the other person's shoes. Like we, as a product person, I am tempted oftentimes of like, why can't you think about the problem in the way I see it? Like, it seems so obvious to me. But then, you know, if you step back and really think about it, it's like, well, you know, they have been taught how to solve problems, but just in a very different way. And they've been taught that in a very specific structure for a very long time, like 10 plus years. And so I, and then it just gives you so much more empathy about where they're coming from. And I think that's been helpful in trying to like how I work with them and how I try to kind of introduce like ideas or concepts on the product world into the clinical world. And, and yeah, that's, that's one problem. And then there's the other problem of like that healthcare is so bad in America that it really doesn't take much to make it better. better. (laughs) And so you, so terrifying. Yeah. And the problem that we face at Eden is like, people love our product. And when we go interview them, they're like, I don't know what you could do be, do do better because you're so much better than everything else. You're like, holy shit, it works. Yeah. And and it's it's challenging for us because in other places like you can't like stop people from suggesting way new problems <laughs> to solve, you know? But here it's like a little a little bit of like crickets, you know? Like mm. They're like, I don't know how you can make this better. And <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a real, before. <laughs> yeah, that's a real challenge. Yeah. The product is too good. 
when we know it's not good <laughs> uh, we, we know there's so much more you could do it's just that it's you the know relative. It's the relative yeah when you when you when society like basically reinforces expectations about how healthcare is in America and you live that life for 20 plus years you you don't know how different it could be mm-hmm. you know and i think just unwinding that is a whole like a task for the whole community of in the health tech space of like how do you reset expectations and how do you bring imagination to that that space mm-hmm.